Well, this morning, as, as you may have noticed, uh, Pastor Dan and his family are not here. They are up in uh, snowy Chicago visiting a new nephew. Um, so we are excited to ha have our elder John, John Peters preach for us this morning. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and read our scripture. We are in our parables series, uh, continuing on from uh, what started last week through a devotional that you received over email. Um, we are in Matthew 20 today in the Bible that's in the pew or in the back of the seat in front of you. Um, you can find this on page 825, um, and you are welcome to find that there and follow along with me as I read from Matthew 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree to work with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Restoration Community Church. It is good to be here this Sunday after a week off uh, and, uh, and to be starting uh, a new series on the parables. Uh, to be honest with you, um, I agreed uh, not too long ago uh, to uh, cover for Dan this week uh, as, uh, as his sister delivered a new baby into the family and, and he wanted to be up there with, with them. Uh, and I said, well, sure, uh, that, that's, you know, I always am happy to fill in. Uh, you know, what's, what's the series going to be, and, and what do you want me to do? And, well, don't worry, it's a parable series. You can pick, uh, you know, a, a, a parable that you're comfortable with, and, and uh, you know, I will do the first sermon of the series, and I'll get everything set up for you and explain why Jesus used parables and what they're all about and how to interpret them. You won't have to cover any of that, uh, so you can just get right in. Uh, and so last Sunday, uh, as you all know, the weather had a little bit of an impact with that plan. And so as I woke up Sunday morning uh, and, I, and I read the email that you read as well, uh, I thought to myself, well, you know, that's okay. Uh, I'll just take Dan's notes and I'll just, you know, read them to you uh, and start out the series and everything will be fine. And then, of course, a few moments later, I saw Dan's email with his sermon via e-blast. So... Uh, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to, just for the sake of those of you who didn't read that email or need a little bit of a review, I'm going to just put some of Dan's words straight from his email right up on the screen for you. Ooh, that's tiny. 
Uh, and uh, we're going to start there very quickly. Uh, as Dan shared with us, starting with uh, one of the most famous parables, the parable of the seeds and the soils, uh, to, to explain to us why uh, Jesus used parables and what they're all about. So these are up there for those of you especially who did not read Dan's email. And uh, don't worry, uh, no one's staring at you. Just keep looking at the screen. Uh, no one will know. Uh, so uh, to start off from Dan's uh, e-blast devotional last week, what are the parables about and why did Jesus use them? First, Dan shared with us three things that the parables are not. Uh, the first thing is they're not just illustrations. They're not illustrations that Jesus used to clarify a point necessarily. In fact, in some cases, in many cases, uh, the people listening to the parable didn't understand. It did not clarify for them what it was that Jesus was saying. Uh, secondly, the parables are not just philosophical ramblings. They're not just Jesus sort of becoming very indefinite and unspecific and leaving things open-ended for someone to think about how they would like to apply his point. No, in fact, the parables have a particular point that Jesus is driving home. And thirdly, Jesus is not hiding his message uh, by using parables from unbelievers and in fact, uh, the parables are designed instead to sort of cut to the heart at the core of people's unbelief or belief. And so it's not that Jesus is being secretive or uh, sort of trying to elude someone's understanding. Instead, he is trying to cut to the very core of who they are in terms of their unbelief or their belief. My wife and I uh, were married in... Uh, uh, PCA Church in Chicago, our, our former pastor, uh, Aaron Baker, who is still there, who's still the pastor there, uh, used to quote uh, Emily Dickinson in reference to the parables uh, from uh, one of her poems titled, Tell All the Truth, But Tell It Slant, Emily Dickinson, the 19th century American poet. And the reason why our pastor quoted that in reference to the parables is because the statement really kind of reflects what a parable is doing. It's telling the truth, but it's telling it slant. And if you can just imagine that in your mind, when someone's telling a story, you expect it to go here, but the parables somehow end up over here. And that's the purpose. That's one of the things that Jesus does in telling the parables. He's telling a story, but it's Slanted. It doesn't always end up where you expect it to go. Parables are stories told on the slant, often turning the norm, the expected norm, on its head. Martin Luther called the parables the left-handed power of Jesus. Imagine a boxer defending the right jabs of a right-handed boxer. For those of you who follow boxing, you, you might know what I'm talking about. I don't, but... Uh, the right-handed jab, jabs of a boxer, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes the left hook. You didn't expect it. You didn't see it coming, but it's devastating. And Martin Luther called the parables the left-handed power of Jesus. Sort of imagine the left hook coming out of nowhere, unseen, unexpected. Parables are like that. Secondly, last week, uh, Dan shared with us a few thoughts on what parables are. Uh, the first thing he shared was that context is king. 
to understand why Jesus told the parables and what he was doing, you've got to understand what was going on in the context. Usually, the parables are told in response uh, uh, by Jesus to a particular situation, a particular setting. And so it's very important to understand what that response is, what Jesus is responding to. Secondly, the parables are actually dividing the listeners. And that was very clear in, in, in uh, Dan's reference to the parable of the soils, where some would hear and understand and some would hear and reject. Uh, so the listeners are being divided. Some would be turned off. They would say, you know, uh, the, okay, Jesus has lost it. I, I, I can't follow this anymore. But others would be piqued. Their curiosity, their, they, they would recognize that the words of truth contain eternal life. And they would want to know more. And so Jesus is using the parables in that way. And finally, uh, Jesus is using the parables to make fertile the hearts of his disciples. In many such cases, uh, the, the parables would disarm, disorient the disciples. It, it, it would sort of cut through their false assumptions and, and their expectations. And as such, they would be more open and more vulnerable in terms of hearing and receiving and responding to the word of truth. And so in that way, it was to cultivate their hearts, to make them more prone to grow. So now we get to Matthew 20, the parable that Jenny Lynn read for us. Uh, in, your, uh, in your Bibles, uh, you, you probably have the heading, the parable of the laborers or the laborers of the vineyard. Uh, or, as I like to call it, the parable of the crazy, disorganized, inefficient, and incredibly foolish vineyard owner. And uh, I think we'll see what I mean by that as we move on. Let's start first with the context. In order to understand this parable, you've really got to understand the setting in which Jesus spoke it into. What was Jesus responding to? And if you want to understand that, you've got to look back to Matthew chapter 19. And we won't read that. We won't go back. But it's a story that I'm sure that most of you are familiar with. In Matthew chapter 19, Peter wants to get what he deserves. And that's the best summary that I can sum it up with. Peter wants to get what he deserves, what he has coming. In Matthew chapter 19, a young, wealthy man approaches Jesus and asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to this young, wealthy man and says, go, eventually says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And as you know, uh, many of you, the story uh, proceeds and ends that the young man, the young, wealthy man uh, walks away from Jesus with great sorrow because it turns out that his wealth was his Achilles heel. His wealth was the thing that he was unwilling to live without and give up in order to follow Jesus. And Peter, in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 19, takes this conversation, this opportunity, this occasion to step up and make a request of Jesus. Peter says, I've given up everything to follow you. What am I going to get for that? This is not Peter's finest moment, as you can imagine. But Jesus is very gracious in his response. Jesus doesn't slam Peter. He doesn't 
embarrass him or shame him for asking this. And in fact, uh, Jesus is quite is remarkable in, in his response to Peter. He tells Peter, yeah, y- you will receive thrones and crowns and rewards, he says. But then comes the slant. And Jesus ends that conversation by saying, but many who are first will be last. And then he tells this parable. Now, it's easy to beat up on Peter in moments like these, and and this is not the only one such moment. There are others in Peter's life, as recorded for us in the Gospels. But if we're honest with ourselves, maybe with each other, uh, we can understand Peter's feelings at this moment. We can understand uh, his words. We've been in similar situations. I mean, when has someone else's failure been something that made us feel better about ourselves? When have we assumed that what I, di- what I put into something directly should correlate with what I get back from it? When have we approached God with a sort of bookkeeper's mentality? You know, sort of, God, I, I'm going to do this for you, but I would really like it if you do that for me. We've been there. We've wrestled with that same emotion, those same thoughts, those same faulty assumptions in terms of our relationship with God. We've all been there. That's where Peter was. And so Jesus, after saying, but the last will be first and the first will be last or or, but many who are first will be last. And then he tells the parable. So let's get to the parable. Jesus tells a story of an owner of a vineyard who goes out at six in the morning in search of day laborers. Now, it's very crucial at this point to uh, to understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about day laborers. If we miss this detail, then the parable doesn't really accomplish what it needs to accomplish. Day laborers. Uh, in the first weeks and months that uh, uh, I was involved in purchasing a, a, a building down in the city, a warehouse building that was all boarded up and really uh, uh, looked very uninviting and looked like there wasn't a whole lot going on. And we moved our office there down in South City on Jefferson, just north of Gravoy. And as we pulled off all those boards and and shutters and began to uh, demo the ugly stuff and begin to spruce it up and make it look inviting and beautiful again, uh, oftentimes we would encounter people who would just stop in from the neighborhood, from that area happening to walk by, and they would ask us if we had a job for them. Sometimes we would hire those people. Sometimes they would move some trash out or uh, help us demo something or, um, you know, uh, help carry something that was particular heavy, and, and, and sometimes we didn't. We didn't have a job for them. But that's the idea of day labor. If you've ever hung out at Home Depot or Lowe's, uh, in, in first thing in the morning when, when the, co- the contractors are, are using the contractor entrance and, and loading up for the day, loading up their trucks and everything, a lot of times you will see day laborers. I don't know if this happens out in the county, but, but in the city, the Home Depot, there are guys just hanging out there. And they're waiting for someone to come out with a load of concrete or a load of drywall or a load of wood or something. And they're waiting for someone to say, do you want to work for the day? Or sometimes they're bold enough to approach and ask, do you have something that I can help you with? Day laborers. 
These are not the have-it-all-together, sharply-dressed, confident in their, 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 their situation, savvy people. These are people who know that one more day of survival, one more meal for their kids, depends on getting picked up for a job for the day. They're completely dependent on someone else. Usually that someone else is a stranger, completely outside of their control, with only a glimmer of hope that they might be one of the fortunate ones to get picked that day. Day laborers. This is the pool of people that the vineyard owner wades into in this parable. So at 6 a.m., the vineyard owner makes his selection at the marketplace and promises in verse 2 a denarius, which would have been a good day's wage for 12 hours of work at the time. So far, everything's normal. There's nothing abnormal about the story. This same story plays out every morning of every day in every culture around the globe. And then begins the slant. The vineyard owner goes back out at 9 a.m. in search of more workers. This is where the story begins to take a turn for the unexpected. Maybe even odd, right? I mean, what is the vineyard owner doing back out three hours later at 9 a.m. looking for more workers? His behavior is not normal. His behavior is not expected. Why is he back in the marketplace? The story continues in verse 4. He finds workers, this time only promising to pay what's right. Lunchtime rolls around. The vineyard owner is back out looking for more workers. Now try to picture the crowds that are pressing in around Jesus at this point as Jesus is sharing this story. They're beginning to stare blankly. They're looking maybe at one another thinking, what, what is going on here? What is this guy up to maybe they're scratching their head or murmuring to each other why is the vineyard owner back out in the middle of the day again he promises only to pay them what's right the story continues at the three o'clock hour the vineyard owner is back out looking for workers now at this point there's something wrong with this guy Right. The, 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 the hearers of this story, this is not the, the, the usual depiction of what day laborers and what happens with day laborers is. This is not right. Didn't didn't this guy have enough sense to plan things out when the day started? I mean, how much time has he wasted already? How much work has has gone undone because he didn't get his planning correct? Didn't he do his projections, his cost analysis before the project started? What about all the time that he's wasting marching back and forth from the vineyard to the marketplace? I mean, surely this is a landowner, a vineyard owner. He's got more important things to do, right, than to spend all day going back and forth looking for workers. Doesn't he realize that all the best workers are already picked over and that the guys that are left are sort of the riffraff, the ones that have bad reputations, the ones that didn't get picked up? This guy is starting to look like a fool, It's almost as though this vineyard owner simply wants the marketplace to be empty and his vineyard full. Full, sorry, not full. The story continues. The owner is back out at 5 p.m. This time he's asking those that are pathetic enough to still be standing there 
with only one hour of daylight left. In verse 6, why are you standing here doing nothing? To which they reply, because no one has hired us. These are the ones that no one wanted. These are the ones that no one noticed. And the vineyard owner says to them, you go to the vineyard too. Now, I'm sure by now uh, the wheels are turning. You're remembering this story, if it's familiar to you, or maybe for the first time, the wheels are turning. Jesus is not telling a story about a vineyard owner. I mean, he is telling a story about a vineyard owner, but it's more than that. Jesus is clearly painting a picture for his listeners, a picture of God and what the kingdom of God is like. So what kind of picture of God and God's kingdom is Jesus painting in this story? In terms of an initial application, uh, we need to understand that God is a God of mission. God is a God of mission. He is out looking for people. He is out pursuing people. God is not sitting in an office somewhere counting his coins. God is not sitting perched high above his vineyard surveying the produce of his fields. God is out pursuing people. You know, it's easy for us as a church even to get so wrapped up in ourselves and what we're doing for ourselves, to get so wrapped up in our programs and to to get wrapped up in answering the question, what can someone do for me? What would be most comfortable for me? But as a church, we have decided it's very clearly written out for us in our mission statement that we are a church that desires to be about the mission of God, the restoration of people's cultures, communities, right? If we want to be about what God is about, then we also need to be about mission and make that a priority. We need to be out in the marking, uh, out in the marketplace. We need to be out looking for people. Not only the bright-eyed early risers, but also the ones that no one notices. That's what God does. God is building his kingdom. That's what he's doing. What is our focus? Not only is God looking for people, but he's incredibly indiscriminate as he does so. He invites the strong and eager ones that are there first thing in the morning. Uh, Albeit, they're still day laborers, but they're there. And he also invites the desperate ones, the easily uh, missed ones. Let me pause here and suggest that we probably have uh, both of those groups represented right here this morning. Some of you may be more the 6 a.m. type of member, part of our church here. Some of you might be here and you feel like the one that's still standing out waiting at 5 p.m. Which one are you? Maybe this morning you feel like no one has noticed. Maybe you have just a sliver of hope left. You need to hear this message very clearly this morning. God wants you in his vineyard. God wants you in his vineyard. He is wearing out a path between his vineyard and where you are right now. 
because he wants you to return with him. He's inviting you. Well, as the story goes on in verse 8, the day's over. And in the parable, the owner instructs his foremen to line everyone up to receive their pay. First, the workers who were hired last, who worked the least, all the way down to those who were hired first. And to everyone's surprise, each of them receives a full day's pay. Now, you can imagine the, the, the uh, ecstatic shock, the joy on the faces of those who receive a full day's pay at the front of the line. That's something completely unexpected, right? And as that sort of shock and, and, and joy in, in receiving such an overwhelming gift and blessing from the landowner sort of begins to filter down the line as those people begin to recognize in the story what's happening. Surely those at the end of the line are thinking to themselves, wow, look what those guys got, right? They got, they got a full day's pay. We, we are going to get paid, right? I mean, surely that's what they're thinking. And then suddenly, wham, here comes that left hook. They got the same pay. Now, I can imagine some frustration at this point in the story. I, I actually uh, remember going through this parable many years ago with a student of mine. And at this point in the parable, he said to me, well, that's just un-American. <laughs> and uh, it was all the more curious uh, because he was Korean and we were in Korea. But, but, <laughs> but he wanted me to know that he knew that that was un-American. Uh, and so, so it probably is. You can imagine the frustrated murmurs in the crowd around Jesus at this point, right? For some, I like to think maybe for Peter especially, the words that came from his mouth that are echoing over this entire situation, sort of still ringing fresh in his ears. We left everything to follow you, Jesus. What are we going to get? Where does this parable hit home for you? I know uh, I've discussed a little bit with my kids around the dinner table this parable. And th there's an unfortunate uh, phrase that comes to mind that I use with them often. Um, not, not, not in my finest moments, but when I hear uh, them complain about something not being fair, I love to say, Oh, thank you. My kids are silent. Uh, life's not fair. And then I add, just because I'm me, get over it. You know, I like that part. Um, so I'm sure, you know, that, that that's sort of uh, rattling around in their brains. Uh, you know, this, this parable is not a statement about fairness. In fact, maybe it's quite the opposite. This parable cuts through our false assumptions about what we might be tempted to think about that we bring to the table in terms of our relationship with God and our standing with him. It challenges that bookkeeping mentality that sort of tabulates, you know, well, I did this or I can bring this or God, look what I can do for you. So you really should, right? It really cuts that down with a left hook. I love this parable. Even if 
uh, to be honest, uh, I find it unsettling at times. It forces us to grapple with where our cultural identity is at odds with our Christian identity. I mean, think about it. My, my student was correct, really. Uh, our nation was founded by pioneers, by, by uh, immigrants who were uh, seeking to create a new world for themselves, right? So, of course, this idea of, 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 of get what you earn and, 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 and get what you deserve and, and make something happen for yourself, it's ingrained in our identity. It's deeply ingrained in our culture. Perhaps you're familiar with the symbol uh, one of the most commonly used symbols in our uh, in our country, uh, Lady Justice holding the scales. There she is for you. A blindfolded woman holding scales, symbolizing justice. The idea that no matter your relationship, no matter your relationship, you will earn what you get and you will get what you deserve. That drives many things in our culture, right? Our capitalism, our justice system, at least in theory. But what if that concept begins to seek into our understanding of God and his kingdom? You see, Lady Justice isn't really a great representation of the vineyard owner. How often do I reinforce Peter's faulty assumption? Even I think about in my uh, encouraging my kids to work harder, right? Uh, you want to be a better swimmer. You want to be a better baseball pitcher. You want to be a, uh, a better musician. Just work harder than the other, right? You want to get into that school. You have to do X, Y, and Z, right? And listen, there's nothing wrong with encouraging good, hard work. But there's a fine line when that mentality begins to seep into our understanding of how we relate to a God who has given everything even when we had nothing to bring. Peter's words echo from the distant past and also oftentimes from our own hearts as that performance and merit-based view of God seeps into our practice. What are we going to get? What do we deserve? This parable is really for us now, the reality is the vineyard owner is an incredibly generous owner. He was that for the first in the line, and he was that for the last in the line. And he reminds at the end of the story that that is true. It was true for Peter and the original audience. Jesus tells this parable because he wants to get us to understand what the kingdom of God is like. It is a kingdom that is built on grace. The vineyard owner asks, are, are you begrudging my generosity? Did you enter my vineyard on your own merit? Did you not start the day as a day laborer like everyone else? Did I not pursue you? Yes, because he loves you. God loves you. That's what grace feels like. It's receiving full pay, no matter what you bring. For those of us laboring in the vineyard, for those of us who belong to him, how does that kind of grace impact our day-to-day? -day? How does that kind of reality that we live in, that we have experienced, impact what we do? 
we become more and more like the owners of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard. We become generous ourselves, with ourselves, with our time, with our resources, with our homes. We recognize that the world continuously hurls this sort of false bookkeeper's mentality of human worth and value at us, at our kids, at our neighbors, and it's not true. But we live our lives as characterized by gratitude, gratitude for God's amazing grace, not comparison, not competition, but gratitude. It turns out that the crazy, disorganized, inefficient, incredibly foolish vineyard owner is, in fact, a wonderful, loving and gracious God who has pursued me and pursued you because he loves you. And he loves me. That's who God is. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the power of your word to cut through all of the things that distract and compete in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, your word, your story, this parable is as impactful as it ever was in our lives, in the lives of those who first heard it. Lord, we need to be reminded of your grace. We need to be reminded every day that we are a day laborer and that you pursued us because you loved us. God, help us to become more like you as a church, as we seek to follow you and to do the things that you have done for us in our communities, in our neighborhoods, with our neighbors, and our families and friends and enemies. God, help us to become more like you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.